Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we are in a series called Truth, God's Word, Our Stories. I am so excited about our presenters today. But before I bring them on, uh, two things I want to say. First, I want to look into the camera and I want to say welcome to all of you who are joining all across the world, all across the country, uh, all over the place. Thank you so much for joining us. Two, I want to say, wait, I have three things. Two, I want to say uh, welcome to our brothers from Stepping Into the Light Ministries. We love you guys uh, and we're proud of you and we're thankful for you. Three, I want to say, if you are watching on YouTube today, uh, we would love for you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are starting to put all of our sermons, all of our worship music, all of our kids' ministry uh, videos, all of our student ministry videos, all of our content onto YouTube. So we would love for you to push the little subscribe button right there on your screen uh, and subscribe to our channel so that you can receive all of the updates and all of the incredible and beautiful and uh, powerful content that our team is generating. Amen? Amen. Um, all right, we've got three presenters for you today that I just, I'm thrilled uh, to have you here. We're going to have Clarence and Tamara Brownlee, and they're speaking on He Said, She Said, a little uh, uh, presentation about marriage. We're going to have Kirk Williams, who's bringing a really, really a personal and powerful word to you today. Uh, and then we have Esther Chu, uh, who is bringing uh, a word that I think is going to um, soften your heart towards the things of God. So take a moment, remove all distractions, focus your heart and mind, and welcome Clarence and Tamara Brownlee. Good morning, everybody. My name is Clarence Brownlee. I've attended One Family Church since 2016. I serve uh, as a trustee, and I'm also a slide runner here at uh, Deshaw. Uh, One Family Church is the only church I've attended since I've been here in St. Louis. In fact, uh, we made one visit, made a decision, and we've been here since 2016. Uh, I'm also a dad to a wonderful daughter, uh, and I've had a, a wonderful son-in-law as well. I have two grandchildren. Uh, Brendan, who's four, rambunctious, energetic four-year-old grandson, grandson, and also have a, uh, a newly, uh, a one-year-old Brielle, or soon-to-be one-year-old Brielle. Most importantly, I've been married to my best friend, Tamara Brownlee, for the last 18 years, and our marriage journey has taken us through six different homes, four different states, years of commuting, and a lifetime of love. There are four words that captured my attention over 21 years ago when I first came to know Tamara. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. At the time, she was a praise and worship leader at a small church that we were attending in Chicago. I would like to say that it was love at first sight, uh, but that was not the case. Uh, that love would come later, but the respect began from the very start. We built a friendship of mutual respect and reverence for the Lord that set the foundation for our relationship. Praising the Lord was an integral aspect of our early dating experience, which laid the foundation for our marriage. 
Over the past 18 years, we've experienced high peaks and low valleys, but we've always kept the Lord by our sides and never wavered on calling his name. I arrived home from a date with Tam on March 17th, 2001. We had just attended a, a concert in downtown Chicago, and I think we, it was Cyrus Chestnut that we saw. Shortly thereafter, I received a call from my mother, and these three words have remained with me ever since. James is gone. My brother uh, was dead at the age of 43 from complications related to leukemia. Four years later, I would, use my, I would lose my beloved Aunt Lula, and three years after that, I would lose my mother. We planned and attended far too many homegrown celebrations our first seven years of marriage. Each challenge that we overcame was another brick that added to our foundation. Luke 648 states, it is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. I will admit that I have anxiety, fear, uncertainty what is currently about what is currently happening locally and globally. The constant daily news reminders can be totally consuming and lead to a sense of feeling overwhelmed. However, when we feel overwhelmed by the chaos and difficulties of life, we can turn to God for prayer and serenity and peace. Turning to the Lord should be our first response, not our last. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Challenges are sure to come, death, illness, job losses, relocations, and even this epidemic that we're facing now. These things can lead to the building blocks of a successful marriage. Couples need to form these building blocks of marriage for a sounded foundation. Some of these blocks are trust, resilience, intimacy, and prayer. This foundation prepares you for the storms that you're going to face during your marriage journey. I would, like, I would love for you to hear from the one that captured my attention nearly 20, 20 years ago with these four words. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. Good morning, my name is Tamara Brownlee and I've been attending One Family Church since 2016. I serve on the ministry council and on the dream team. And in addition, I'm a bonus mom, a bonus grandma, but most importantly, married to the love of my life, Clarence, for 18 years and counting. Our living and working together for the past few months has really been rich for us. In all our 18 years, this is likely the most consecutive time we've ever spent together. And we're learning our new work rules like miming, I'm on a call, or slowly tiptoeing into each other's offices to make sure we're not caught on the video conference. And also learning better how to care for each other in very, very stressful times. And all of that has been rich for us and made us better from our new rituals of morning coffee time when he graciously brings in that first cup of joe to me or I to him, to prayer before we start our long day of calls, or even decompression time at the end of the day where we can just be. But it wasn't the case every day. I'm generally a pretty calm individual, 
But there was one day, pretty memorably in May, when after another day of work and love in the time of the pandemic, CB and I were having a conversation about nothing. So really something benign. And he said something that I interpreted wrong and I just lost it. I mean, really lost it. I dramatically stormed out of the room and with tears, I angrily yelled that he was too much, that work was too much, that COVID was too much. It was just all too much. After a few minutes of therapeutic sobbing, I got ready for bed and then I do what I normally do. I prayed and asked God for some answers and for some clarity about what was happening between us, what was happening in the world. Truth is that there's a lot going on and sometimes it's okay to not be okay. It was also okay that we were feeling the stresses of our job that was actually asking us to work longer than we ever had, job uncertainty, and even COVID-19 infection threats. I had cousins that were infected and we just didn't know where things were gonna go. In my time of prayer, the Lord didn't directly speak to me that night, but I did get a flashback about all his wonderful promises to us, to me and Clarence, and how he was with us and how he kept building those foundational blocks for our marriage over the years. He reminded me of Psalm 91 and six that instructs us not to dread the disease that stalks in the darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. And Ephesians 6 and 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have a common enemy, and Clarence and I really didn't wait, need to waste time arguing with each other. Over the years, practicing resilience and remembering that we could be taken care of in every issue that we faced, we realized that whatever we're upset about now, if it doesn't matter in a year, in five years, in 10 years, it really doesn't matter. So that night, after we were all calm, CB came to bed, we kissed each other goodnight, held hands, and we had restful sleep. I'll invite CB to come back and we'll share some tactics with you. Thank you, baby, that was awesome. Our message to couples is whether it's a job loss, financial challenges, even the unusual circumstances of this pandemic, know that God is in control and there's a plan for your life. With every challenge you endure, you have the opportunity to lay down solid foundational blocks like resilience, intimacy, and prayer that all lead to even more solid foundation. We'll leave you with some tactics to help you strive, especially in this season. Remember that God is in control and that he always provides. His name is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Take a time out. Being quarantined in your house doesn't mean you have to do everything together. It's important that you find time apart to recharge. Uh, the Bible tells us a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 15, 18. Make memories. 
almost overnight, everyone's world turned upside down where we were go, go, go to stay, stay, stay. What a wonderful opportunity then to make some new memories, um, new things that you can do. We started an arrow garden and uh, we have tomato plants and we yielded our first crop. Yes, two <laughs> tomatoes. <laughs> okay, uh, have coffee time. A time just yours to check in with each other uninterrupted and pray. Prayer is a significant way to grow a stronger, more unified and intimate marriage. Recognize that you and your spouse are a team with a common opponent. The anxieties and exhaustions of this season really tempt us to want to turn against each other. But the truth is, God says, that he's given you this person for such a time as this. Finally, we would like to say, be safe and may you thrive in this season. And we'll leave you with, praise, praise the, the Lord, Lord, everybody. Praise, praise the, the Lord. Lord. All right, for all of you who are married, want to get married, or used to be married, you should listen to what Clarence and Tamara had to say. That was really, really great. Uh, now, take a moment, get ready for Kirk Williams, who's bringing a powerful word from God. Good morning, family. My name is Kirk Williams, and I've been a member with One Family Church for the past eight years. And in that time, I've had the privilege of being on the finance team, being a trustee, um, serving on our safety team, and as, as well as our praise team. This is an awesome church, and I love you guys. So it's mid-February, and I and a, a group of fellow Air Force airmen are hiking through the mountains of Washington State. We're cold, we're exhausted, we're tired, we're growing weary and hungry with every step. When out of nowhere, we're surrounded and held at gunpoint by a group of soldiers in, in uniforms wearing patches and flags that we've never seen before. Uh, we immediately realized that they, they were not friendlies. Uh, they were the enemy, and we were now their prisoners. What ensued after that is exactly what you can imagine. Uh, confusion, chaos, darkness, uh, intimidation, stress, pain, fear, anxiety, every single emotion you would attribute to someone that is now being held as a prisoner of war. All those emotions flooded my body, even though only a week prior, I and my fellow air airmen were in a comfortable classroom auditorium where we were learning of the many ways to survive in the wilderness if ever our airplane was shot down due to enemy attack. In this training, they taught us how to, to evade. In this training, they taught us how to, to live within the wilderness, to stay alive, to survive, to take care of others. And also in that training, they, they let us know exactly how it would feel in those moments, all the emotions that would accompany that experience. But even though I knew all that, I yet still felt all those emotions. It became very real for me. As I reflect back on my time in, the, in Washington State and the fact that uh, it was training, uh, it still did not negate the fact and the reality that my mind and emotions were bombarded by all of those impulses and I had to deal with what I saw, what I heard, what I smelled, what I had to endure. But in that, what helped me um, through that situation and also has continued to help me 
is the fact of two critical words that I heard from one of the instructors. And when he mentioned it, it kind of flew right past me. But as I began to think about it even more, I saw the power of it. I saw how those two words point back to God's power, his presence, and his provision. Those two words were, everyone remember, this is an academic situation. In those two words, I found peace. In those two words, I found strength. In those two words, I found focus. I found the courage to take the next step and face whatever was, was next. Um, because in those two words, it allowed me to realize that the situation was not designed to make me a prisoner, but to make me empowered through preparation. So though I understand it all now, <laughs> uh, it wasn't until years later that the truth of that statement became real to me as God would remind me time and time again of the training and whisper into my spirit uh, in those moments when I didn't feel like I could take another step, let alone another breath. It was in moments like the night Jennifer and I had to come home to our two young children at the time, the ages of five and three, and let them know that their sister Addison would not be coming home because she was now in heaven. Moments where nothing made sense, nothing, and everything hurt. It was those moments that God simply helped me to realize that the same way that my training was one uh, that was controlled, that was an environment that was designed for me to learn, it was those moments that allowed me to help me to understand that God had controlled environments for me as well in my life because he governs all and he is sovereign over all. And so to help me with that, and fortunately for us, uh, God has, has left many stories for us and provided many stories for us to be reminded of just that truth, that he is in control and we put our trust in him he will see us through. And so one of those stories that I'd like to share um, is one of my favorite stories. Um, and it is the story of Daniel, Michelle, Hananiah, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so when they were just young boys, uh, the Babylonian armies invaded uh, their country and captured the best and the brightest to come live as servants under King Nebuchadnezzar in service to him. So now these young, gifted, blessed young boys are no longer living in their own homes, no, no longer living their own hopes and dreams, no longer living with their loved ones. They're in a strange land under strange rules, forced to abide by the laws of some strange God. So let's look at the story. So while these young men are living in captivity, um, the king makes a golden image. If what we understand is a, a god or some idol, it's about 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. And being in that particular region of the world, to be able to see something that large and that shiny in the middle of the desert, I'm sure it's awe-inspiring when the sun hits that. And to understand that, you must think that the king, he had, a, he had a, a reason for putting this big idol up there. 
And that reason is that he wanted everyone to serve this God. In fact, it was so important to the king that he commanded that all of the officials of the provinces spread the word that whenever you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, you shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And in this story, just as in life, um, oftentimes when we're serving God, um, there will be trials, there will be confrontations, there will be struggles. And there will also be people that simply just do not want to see you succeed. They just do not want to see you happy. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they experienced that as well, because there were those that saw that they did not bow down. And when they, they saw that, they let the king know. The king becomes furious at that and demands that the three Hebrew boys do so. And what he also does is he, he gives them one more chance to bow. And this is what, this is what I, I find very encouraging, is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are so confident in the relationship that they have with God and his power that they defiantly say this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What confidence, what power, what, what peace they must be experiencing because they know who they serve. And so the first point is to know God for yourself. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew God. We see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, our God can save us. To be able to declare something like that comes from a point of knowing God themselves. So I encourage you to know God, to get in the word, and to study what he has said and provided for you. And in doing so, it will allow you to do the next point that I'd like to share, and that is to trust and so as we go back to the story, we notice the second thing that they say. And not only is God able to deliver us, but he will deliver us. That is trust, my friends. And it's one thing as I'm thinking about it, it's one thing to be able to, to face your fears in the comfort of peace. <laughs> Knowing that nothing's going on when you, know, you have the job that you always wanted. You have all the money that you need. Kids are healthy. Family is fine. Everyone is doing well. But it's another thing to trust in the midst of trials. It's another thing to trust in the midst of that storm. It's another thing to trust when your loved one is in the hospital. It's another thing to trust when you're standing in front of an audience giving your child's memorial. That takes trust. And so with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see that they not only can see this fiery furnace, they can feel the heat that's coming from this as well. And so now they're being bombarded by these senses. But in all of that, in all of those senses of, and feelings of fear and desperation and peril, they trust in God and they stand on his word. And the beauty of all of this is that 
the king was the first to recognize and help point out something that I'd like to close with. And that is when you take the time to know God and experience him as your Lord and Savior and Abba Father and allow your relationship with him to develop into trusting in him. It gives you the confidence to act in faith and stand on the word that he's promised you. In doing all these things, something wonderful occurs. And oftentimes we see it in those fiery situations um, where the facts seem to point to certain harm. The facts seems to point to complete devastation. The facts point to there's no way you're going to win. But the truth, the truth of the matter is that God is, has, and will always be there with you every step of the way. And just like God showed up in the midst of the fiery furnace in the physical form, he is doing that with you each moment that you are in that trial. And so as I reflect back on my training situation in Washington State, I'm reminded that in order for me to believe that the training process was designed not to make me a prisoner, uh, but to make me powerful and prepared, I need to remind myself of what I know and what I knew then. And that is that I'm a United States Air Force Airman that's designed and purposed to serve our country in a specific and special way. And knowing that, I needed to trust that the situation was specifically designed for me to provide me with what was needed to prepare for the future. So that situation was specifically designed for me so that I would be prepared for the future. All I needed to do was simply act on the truth of the matter, that the process and the situation was designed for me to go through it and not live in it. And so after several days of being in, in this staged POW camp and learning the lessons we were designed to learn and endure, we were marched out into the courtyard and to stand in formation as we had, had done several other times before. And in doing so, we were placed right under the enemy's flag. And moments later, we were given the command to do an about face and to turn around and salute the flag that we were standing before. And the flag that was waving in front of us was the flag of the United States of America. And in that moment, that signified that our training had been completed. The trial was over. The test was done. The struggle was over. And that moment still sticks with me because in that moment I realized a couple things. And one of the things is that as the national anthem was playing, tears streamed down my face. We all saluted and we looked at each other knowing that we had not only succeeded in learning what we were to learn, but we understood that it truly was an academic situation. And with that, I just want to remind each of you that this trial, this test, is designed for us to go through it. It's not designed for us to stay in it. And it's also designed for us to be empowered, to be prepared, to go and do what God has for each one of us to do. And so I'd like to, sh- to close with this and encourage you by saying in Jeremiah 29th chapter and 11th verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, 
plans to give you hope and a future. Wow, thank you so much, Kirk. Uh, take a moment now and get ready. We're going to have one more presentation. Esther Chu is going to come up and talk about the way that God softens our hearts. Hi, One Family Church. My name is Esther Chu. My husband and I have been attending One Family Church for a little under two years. Today, I have a question for you. My question is, what is the state of your heart? We live in chaotic times. Things are changing all the time. There's so many unknowns. And in the midst of it, I think what's easy for us to do is to just try to barge right through it. And we forget to stop and evaluate, how is our heart doing? I've been thinking about this question myself. And if I'm blatantly honest with you, my heart is very, very tired. It's tired, it's weary. I'm tired of so many things. I'm tired of hearing story after story and seeing injustices that happen to my black brothers and sisters. I'm tired of hearing how COVID has disproportionately affected my refugee friends, their families, my Latino friends and their families. I'm so tired of opening up my news app every day and seeing news after news of how COVID is the top in the nation in my home state of Arizona. I'm so tired. And if I'm honest, when I'm tired, my temptation is to take my heart and to harden it so I don't care so much, so it doesn't hurt so much. My temptation is to try not to care too much. But when that happens, I'm reminded of an experience I had with Jesus just about a year ago that I'd like to share with you today. So to give you a little bit of background, um, I've been married for seven years this year, and for six out of those seven years, my husband and I have been trying to have a child. And it's, uh, for any of you who've experienced it, and even for those of you who haven't, um, the short of it is it's a very painful process. Last year, um, we decided to choose into hope once again. And we decided to ask all of our friends to pray for us. And we went to a fertility doctor. We were hesitant at first, but we really felt like this was a step of faith that showed our continued hope in the Lord. So after a month of getting prodded and tested and drugs, uh, not that kind of drugs, the other kind of drugs, the the day came when we were actually going to get a call, find out. That day, I waited all day. I was really nervous. And um, when the time came, it was around 5 p.m., I remember. Six, actually, because the office closes at 5. And I was really nervous, and they hadn't called me all day. But when they called, I picked up the phone. And the first words I heard out of their mouth were, I'm so sorry. It didn't work. I was devastated. I cried the rest of the day. And that night, um, I couldn't sleep. So I got up and I started pacing back and forth in my living room. And as I was pacing, I started to pray. 
And I said to the Lord, Lord, everything says that you are kind and that you are good, but this doesn't seem kind or good. It doesn't seem kind that the same day I found out I was not pregnant, a friend told me that she was pregnant. Doesn't that seem like cruel timing? If you don't want me to have a child out of your kindness, could you at least have timed it so it doesn't hurt so badly? And I asked the Lord hard questions that day. As I was pacing and asking him these questions, um, a verse came to mind out of Ezekiel 11. And Ezekiel is um, about these exiles that might have similar questions for the Lord about his kindness and his goodness. What it said, what the Lord had said to them is, I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then a few sentences down it says, you will be my people and I will be your God. So I'm like, what are you saying, Lord? And I felt like the Lord was saying, Esther, your heart is so tempted to be hard right now. Would you offer your heart to me? And I paused and I thought about it. And what I told the Lord was that, Lord, a heart of flesh is vulnerable. A heart of flesh is easily hurt. Right now, my heart is broken. It hurts way too much. I prefer to have a heart of stone. But the Lord, in his gentleness and kindness, continued to invite me. He said, Esther, would you give your heart to me? And finally, because of all the ways I remember the Lord had been good in the past, even though it did not feel good in that moment, I said, yes, Lord, here you go. I'm going to try this and see what happens. And as soon as I said that, a picture popped into my mind. And it was me holding out my heart to the Lord. And it wasn't one of those, um, you know, elementary school hearts like this. It was actually a bloody, beating heart. And as I looked down at this heart, what I noticed was that there were some very dry and very brittle places. I told the Lord, it looks like somebody has shot arrows into those parts. They're about to crack. What are you going to do with this heart? I can't fix it. I can only offer you what I have. And in this image, what I saw was the Lord, Jesus reached out his hand and he took my heart and he took his hand, he dipped it in some oil and he started rubbing oil into those dry, brittle parts of my heart. He kept rubbing and rubbing. Actually, it was more like this. He was rubbing like this. And what he told me is like, Esther, it will take some time. It will still hurt for a while. But... I will rub your heart and I will make it supple and soft again so that you can have more space to love people and to care. As I think about this really powerful image in my current state today, as I think about my tired heart, the verse that comes to mind for me is out of Matthew 11 that says, or Jesus says to, to people, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But my favorite part is the next part that says, 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I don't know what the state of your heart is like today. Maybe your heart has already turned to stone and you just don't care anymore. Maybe your heart is aching and pained because it's still soft. Maybe you're somewhere in between, like me, where parts of it are brittle and hard and parts of it are soft. No matter the state of your heart, I just want to invite you to join me today in offering our hearts again to Jesus, who not only will heal our hearts with oil, but he has promised that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Thank you.